0: Welcome to our second SOMA Church podcast in conjunction with our Justice and Reconciliation series, where we are continuing conversations about restoring people, places, and systems from hostility, to harmony with God, others, and creation. My name is Ryan Lambert, and like our last episode, in which as a group we talked about justice and reconciliation as part of the whole gospel and ways to begin having this conversation, in this episode I'm joined by some new and returning voices as our discussion centers around awareness and the roots of injustice and division. And Before we start, I'd like each of you to introduce yourselves, along with which SOMA congregation you regularly attend.
1: Hi, my name is Allison Piscasio. I attend
2: SOMA Midtown. Hi, I'm Tyra Voget, and I also attend SOMA Midtown.
3: My name is Tim Landrum, and I attend SOMA Downtown.
4: And I'm Steve Coyle, and I attend SOMA Northwest. Thank you all for taking the
0: time to sit down and, and have this conversation. And we all have, have sat in now a couple of weeks of this Justice and Reconciliation series, and... We all come at this from different backgrounds, different experiences, but we're also hearing, although there are common threads, different sermons at our congregations regarding this. So we're going to talk a little bit about what each of those have looked like and what we've maybe pulled from those. But one thing we want to start with in this episode is is today at Midtown, we, we heard a, a quote from a guy by the name of George Erasmus. He said that for true community— we must have a common memory. And as we, as a body, look to establish this common memory, which for many of us, uh, includes really taking a deep hard look at at history, especially the history of our own city, the history of our own family. Uh, we look at this through teachings, uh, through Sunday sermons, we've got documentaries that we're watching. But but we see wrapped up in all of this is the idea that past injustice causes present pain. So, I'll say that again that past injustice causes present pain. And people in our city, in Indianapolis, they experience this present pain. So, the first question we want to talk about is why do you think it's important for us to not acknowledge in our own city that we do have past injustice that causes present pain?
3: People don't have healthy ways of dealing with feelings of guilt and shame.
1: James and I, my husband and I have talked a lot about how if we don't know and recognize history and where we came from, we can't move forward in a redemptive manner. Um, I think it's important that just like our families of origin, where there's been trauma that we acknowledge it, that we not try and um, wash it over or explain it away. Um, That way healing can take place. Otherwise it's just a perpetuation of silence.
2: Yeah, I think, too, when you are having conversations or coming in contact with someone, um, a person of color or someone um, who might have experienced um, any sort of level of oppression or discrimination, like a lot of the times it can be easy to see that thing as an isolated incident. Um, And without really knowing the history of our city, the history of our country, and coming to, to terms with how that how those wounds are still present today um I think that it's hard for us to to move forward with like like a holistic plan and a holistic I don't know I think uh, just a, a holistic way of uh of healing um without knowing all of that I guess
4: yeah I would agree with all those things I think that um You know, when I think about that, it's super important that uh, we're honest about the past. One, for healing, Um, and two, just to see exactly what it is that God's doing in the process of moving forward. But um, just like they said, it's really hard to see that when you don't acknowledge what the past is. When you think about in this conversation and we think about the gospel uh, and you think about restoration and you're seeing things restored, it's really hard to see what it is that you're trying to restore when you don't see what's broken. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I would say that it's super important to see that you have to really get into what is it really that's broken that we really desperately need God to heal, that we're praying for to see Him do, and how can we be a part of that. Um, And you have to start backwards uh, and then move forward.
0: Do any of you have any personal experience with these these present pains caused by past injustice? Do any of you have anything that you have experience with in your own families within your own and, and we're not you know, we're not all from the city of Indianapolis, although we all call it home now, it's not where we all originated from or grew up. But still in that, does anyone have anything specific that, that kind of sits with them as an experience that you've had personally or that family members have had that relate to this maybe past injustice?
1: I have a story. Um, so as background, uh, I'm a white woman. My family was all white uh, growing up, and we didn't um, have much interaction with any African-Americans. Um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in the early 2000s, there was a police brutality um, that ended up with the death of a young African-American who was un- unarmed. Um, and it was very tragic. There were, unfortunately, race riots that resulted from that. and. Um, Just a lot of the people that I was surrounded by, it became a contentious situation in that there wasn't a lot of empathy um, for African Americans. There was a lot of um, sense of condemnation of why are these people doing this? This isn't an answer. Um, just a lot of hard heartedness toward that community that was hurting. Um, and so when things like Ferguson happened and others, it was just a lot of bubbling up of things that were deep seated in my past that I said some things and had some viewpoints that were very hurtful to people who were um, just going through a lot of pain at that time. And uh, it, unfortunately through that I learned um, a lot of hard lessons that for me were good, but it was at the hands of something that from my past hadn't been dealt with that I was saying things that were causing harm to people that I loved.
4: Any other experiences? Yeah. So I come into the situation. um, it's, It's really like interesting because I'm biracial. And so I grew up with a white family. Um, and there were no i didn't know anybody on my dad's side uh at in my past until like recently just this past year or so um and my dad is also biracial um and I just found that out so my family grew up in poverty so we grew up in the neighborhoods that where you would see police brutality uh, the violence and stuff like that, and so my family, I didn't really experience racism and stuff per se from my family members um, all the time. Like maybe sometimes, like my mom would say things that were hurtful, uh, you know, certain words and stuff like that. Um, but at that time, you know, I didn't really realize like what was going on um, to an extent for them because they were living in the same context that I was living in, and everybody else in the neighborhood is a minority. Mm-hmm. But the crazy thing is, my family's a minority because we're all in a uh, predominantly black neighborhood. Um, so I didn't really start to experience this stuff so much uh, until I got out of it uh, and started to see what was going on because at that point in time, I, I'm living in a neighborhood I'm from the west side of Indy, uh, where it's just all about kind of like the survival. and so the conversation and the hurt didn't really come around for me until I came to Christ and got into the church, where I'm coming from uh, an all-black context into an all-white context, and my narrative uh, is being made for me as to what's acceptable and not acceptable from a majority culture of all-white people in southern Indiana, in Evansville. Um, so, you know, I would hear and uh experienced similar things about the conversation like when Ferguson happened and stuff like that uh, where there was just this uh, high regard for the law and uh not not that the law should not be highly regarded but just you know in favor they were more in favor of uh the police than they were the victims you know and it was always the talk of like well what about what they did wrong. It was always the assumption when you try to talk about it. it's like, hey, this happened, and I'm trying to process it, and you're seeing people on Facebook and in the church, and they're like, well, what about what he did wrong, and what about his background, and what about his history, and all these assumptions, uh, and labels, and generalizations about who the man was that was the victim, trying to justify what happened to him, um, because, you know, and saying things like, well, they're just doing their job, and stuff like that, and. What I learned was that you get put into this blanket uh, based off what you look like and where you're from. And so my voice would get ignored at that time. And there really wasn't a category for me to see, like, man, God really cares about those people, uh, that the injustices happen to them because that kind of gets pushed out. Mm -hmm. Um, Because my context is that majority white culture is controlling the narrative uh, for me. Uh, because I didn't really not understand what the narrative was before, and so and th- and that really hurt some people that I was saying like these are my best friends, closest friends that were white that were leading me in the Lord and it it didn't really matter that man or person a human being got killed, it was more about you know their background and stuff like that trying to justify right and wrong based off of the law so that's my experience with that
0: so it's interesting to me that when you talk about that, that growing up that was not an experience you had, and you didn't have that experience until getting older, living in different contexts, now living in majority white context, and having this happen in the church, which is a whole new set of things because we've talked a lot and tried to come to grips with these last especially this past week about kind of the church's role in in some of these things. What does it say to us that, as we respond to what Steve just said, we think about the church's role and even his story specifically?
3: I think for me, there is... I spent a long time trying to, for myself, work on like, putting to death those things, because I I'm, came from, like, ministry family, right? Like, both sides of my family, missionaries and pastors and all-Christian education and, and everything. Um, but then, after college, really being uncomfortable with the tying of the church to, um, I don't know, kind of like larger American culture and wanting to, really wanting to understand it and see it as something that is bigger and universal and um, you know, something that's able to be true about Christ and people who follow Christ over the past 2,000 years and all kinds of cultural expressions. And um, so I spent a lot of time trying to put to death the reactions that I was having to, um, like the kind of things that have been going on, I mean, not just in regard to race, but in other cultural things where a lot of American Christianity is having a cultural response and, um, kind of freaking out about things that they think are going to destroy them, right? That they think are going to destroy who they are, which in, in my eyes is not really Christ, right? Like, that, um, you know, when you get the response about Ferguson and you get the response about police brutality and people say, well, they, you know, they just need to comply, right? Like, you just need to respect authority and not, um, you know, not make waves and, um, you know, really not grieve for something that's horrible. Um, there is a lot of cultural identity that believers have bought into that isn't at a kingdom identity. Mm-hmm. And so working to put that to death and when I feel those same responses, right, like, well, no, just respect authority. Cops have always been really nice to me because I'm you know white male from the Midwest and, you know, know how to not get in trouble. You know, like, um, and so when I had those same responses, just being like, I can't, You know, like there's something in my heart that is triggering off of this. Um, And I think the white church at large needs to be working on that, right? Like when we have a disproportionate emotional response to something, that kind of defensiveness comes up, that kind of confusion comes up. We should be looking at that and trying to like understand where it comes from because it's it's not a fruit of the spirit, right? it's not love, joy, and peace and self-control and all of the things that God is should you know is trying to bring out of our lives. It's a response to some kind of wound to some kind of identity that we have bought into as the church uh, that really isn't Christ
0: when we as a church try to look back on those things, we become defensive and and maybe that brings about or should bring about some red flags for us when we disproportionately react to things that we see or, or we hear. It's important for us to look into the past and talk about that, and we talked about this a little bit today at Midtown, to be able to talk about our past, whether that be the past of the church, whether it be the city, whether it be us individually or with our families, and to be able to do that without condemnation to be able to talk openly about that and then and relating to what Steve said earlier we want to we want to point to that and deal with that without condemnation and honestly so then we can look and say and see what God has done in this and then what he can redemptively do with this in the future so when we talk about that as far as maybe it's relationship-based? What experience do you guys have or how would this look in relationships? Or tell me experience that you have in relationships where you've been able to talk about these things, talk about yourself maybe, talk about your own history um, without feeling that condemnation. Has anyone been able to have experience in conversation or relationships like that?
2: I mean, I definitely have. I think for me, um, one thing that I struggle with a lot is like a feeling of when I am engaging in conversations with white people or what have you, I I think that like a big fear that I have is just not being believed or not feeling like my experiences are being validated or they're... Um, a little bit like kind of being pushed aside or even seen as like an isolated incident. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, this is not an actual problem that's happening in society. This is just one thing that you've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like where it it's hard for me to like, move forward, because um, I, I do experience a lot of fear in that. Um, but I think the way that I combat that is, um, just through personal relationships and, and um, feeling comfortable enough with someone or having a, enough of a friendship with someone to feel like I can open up in that way. And how that always starts is um, like, we like come into the conversation just assuming love, um, just assuming that I love you and you love me, and this is the conversation that we're gonna have. And if we assume love, then we can move forward with any sort of, uh, whatever you've said that's offended me or whatever I've said that you, that's offended you, we can still move forward and have a, a productive conversation and be able to see um, one another and acknowledge each other's experiences.
0: Starting that conversation with that baseline of love in one another, how much does it also play in or how much benefit is it if you're in a relationship where the baseline is the gospel and we work off of that piece? Do you find that helpful in yeah, those absolutely. conversations?
2: I mean, I think that, um, Brandon had mentioned something in the sermon today about using Jesus, Jesus's language to love one another. And what does that look like? Um, and I think that, uh, I think like something that you'd mentioned was that we, a lot of the times, even unconsciously kind of put other identities, like some other salient identities above like who we are in Christ. Um, and I think once that is brought to the forefront and that's on the forefront of your mind, when you're having these sorts of conversations that they're, they're gospel centered, um, that I think that there's, there's like always fruit that comes from those sorts of conversations, no matter what's like said, I think as long as it's coming from a place of like being Jesus and gospel centered, coming from a place of love, that
0: there is fruit. I want to ask specifically a question, um to Tim and Allison as majority white people, white church context, how have you been able to engage or what have you done to purposely engage in relationship with minority culture? I mean, Allison, obviously, it's a little easier for you. You're married to an African American. But um, yeah, how does that look like for you guys in majority culture as majority to step into those relationships. What is what have been some keys for you to do that or how have you done that?
3: I mean be, be willing to be uncomfortable. Like that's the biggest thing. Be willing to be uncomfortable and I mean, like you said, like know your identity in Christ. Because you go into those things and it's something's gonna you know, like you're gonna wanna trigger off of something or it's gonna grate or it's gonna be weird and awkward and just be willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to do that. If you can say, whatever I'm feeling, I know that there's no condemnation for me Mm -hmm. because I'm in Christ, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm signed and sealed. I am a child of God. I'm all of these things. Because if I can come back to that, it doesn't matter if I'm feeling accused. It doesn't matter if somebody's yelling at me. It doesn't matter if... They're triggering off of me because of what people that look like me have done to them or because of what they think people that look like me, they think, think about them. Right. Like sometimes it's not even it's just the narratives that we hear. And so being willing to go in and let it be awkward, not have to be right about everything, being willing to listen and being willing to extend grace. Um, If if you can if you can do that and, you know go in and be humble. Uh, I think that that is a lot of the battle.
1: I would say, um, there's one, there was one friendship that I had specifically, um, a few years ago that was just, um, opened a lot of doors for me in terms of relationships with minorities and just like really changed my approach. Um, I just asked a lot of questions, not in a sense of "tell me everything." I just want to know all of it, and then like I'll just watch it all happen. Um, but more of like just letting someone speak their mind and um, their experience, and not treating it as Tyra you said like an isolated incident. Or um, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but that's certainly not the norm. And I'll just continue living about my life. Um, another piece is. Uh, not getting fixated on projecting that onto like, those are my, those are my relatives or my family members or my loved ones, because, um, that can easily become very divisive of assuming that you, their objective in, um, sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts when someone is hurt or speaking something that could potentially be hurtful, not ascribing that to people who you feel are innocent parties and feeling like I need to go to battle on their behalf, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing Brandon mentioned today, which um, hasn't been talked about yet, but I think is important, is just the supernatural component of all of this is that it's not about people versus people. We know that God is in control and he's the creator and all things are for his good but also there's a really real presence of the devil who's working to divide us um since the beginning of creation and so just being mindful of that in terms of it's not a white black issue it's a uh, spiritual forces as well um and so being mindful of that and um knowing that if you leave a conversation and it's really hard and you really didn't come to any significant conclusion that that's a very real reality and it's not on you and your shoulders to reconcile people together, but also to acknowledge and to be in prayer that that happened.
4: Yeah, I've experienced, uh, some really hard, really good, honest conversations when, uh, kind of like they were saying when the gospel is the forefront, uh, when Jesus is the authority, That changes everything. I feel like when we come into the conversation, sometimes it gets really hard because people on both sides, um, because I've done this and I can just be honest about it. I've been thinking about it as even like the conversation was getting ready to come back up, Uh, just thinking about like, man, and I've seen it happen where it's like, man, I can say things that really hurt people if I'm not careful and I project my pain onto them um and that is something in the conversation that i have to be careful of like i said uh because if i'm not then i'm really not real i'm not fighting necessarily for um people to experience jesus and true reconciliation and for us to fight for truth um i'm really just fighting for something that i've built or that i prefer um or i am um maybe even initiating payback if i'm in a real bad place um and so like i've had conversations with nate dunlevy that are really hard uh with brian gornick we but but the thing about our conversations um we're able to be honest with each other uh and we both walk away from those conversations uh landing on uh like this is the truth of the gospel and that we love each other and I always hope when I have the conversation with someone that they walk away and they don't doubt that I love them. Because uh, I, I have this conversation a lot with my white brothers and sisters um, about race and stuff like that. And they're hard and I have to be honest about things. Um, but I always have to. I always am praying. I'm like, man, if, if we walk away from this conversation, how do they think I feel about them? Do they know that I love them? And I always am worried about, do they love me? And um, I haven't got to experience that too much except a little bit like in ministry with a couple guys. But, um, you know, more so when I came to Soma and we had the reconciliation group and we started doing those things. It's just so crucial that uh, we humble ourselves and let the word and Jesus be our authority and let the truth be the truth. Mm -hmm. um, And let that be our identity because then you have to obey and that's the hardest thing to do, is to be like, I have to obey in the conversation. Um, I can be honest, but I'm not going to try to project hate or project my hurt onto somebody else to make them experience what I experience. Um, and so I would agree with that. It's like, yeah, I do have to, I have to let the Lord go in first with it and humble myself to it, or else it gets real messy. Um, and it's messy anyways, but it gets more messy when that's not
0: the case. Mm -hmm. You've talked a a bit there about being honest with each other, kind of starting from this this baseline or having the gospel at the forefront. But I think there's a piece to this conversation where we also have to be honest with ourselves. Um, You know, one of the dangers in this conversation can be self-righteousness, where we see this play out sometimes in the thought of, well, you know, I, I don't have, I don't have an issue with this. You know, this is not, this is not my issue. I'm okay with diversity, people of different color, ethnicity, races. or So this is this is everyone else's problem. This doesn't reside in me. Um, and I think it's important for us to be able to identify injustice in ourselves first before we even can launch into that. And, and we have biblical examples of this. In, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is talking about, he has a vision for the Lord, and he writes that, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So here we have the prophet Isaiah taking an inward look at his own sin before he goes out to the people. says, woe are you. So as we look to avoid a self-righteous position on the topics of race or racism, or whether it's culture or the history of our own family of origin, things like that, why Why do you think it's important for us to look inward first, and what might that internal look look like, or have you walked through that internal look in yourself to see what that might look like and can share that experience?
4: I guess I'm having a difficult time trying to put it into words, but I, like for me, um, coming from, I guess, the perspective of the minority it's it's funny that you asked that question cuz literally like today this is something I've been thinking about like all day. Uh and like this past week of just kind of like man, what what is what is my posture towards this conversation um and how am I interacting with it? Um and I, it's really important for me to look inward and see um what what is it? Like what is my motive? Uh, because there's like I've I've noticed that like in the conversation that sometimes it can be pr- really prideful. Um and mm-hmm. although see it's sneaky because it plays out like this, if I'm just being honest. Um so for me I can come into the conversation and I've had times where I've come into the conversation uh and I see that there's an opportunity for me to uh I guess condemn uh majority uh at times because when I have the conversation because they've given me the platform to express myself um and so sometimes I speak I've caught myself speaking if I'm just like looking inside and just looking back like man I was really prideful what my motive was not for them to feel loved or to know Jesus it really was just to uh more in a sense to flip the script. I want them that like, it would be like, man, I really want you to feel this, what I'm saying, and I want you to do something about it. So I'm going to project something on you and I'm going to have um, a solution that I don't even do, which is hypocritical. Um, And I was telling my wife in the car today, I was like, man, I feel like sometimes I'm more like a Pharisee in the situation uh, than anything else and it's kind of like humiliating um, and I was like really burdened by it but uh, that, that self-righteousness like you got to really look inside and really be careful of that because it's not really about Jesus it can get super quick where it's not really about Jesus anymore it's not about lamenting what's really going on it's not about anything else it's about just kind of like this, these power moves that we play on each other you know um, And I think that's where I've seen that where I've had to be like, man, I just I got to look inside and see what's going on in there because there's pain and there's revenge that I want. There is, um, you know, all all of that. And I can look down on the majority and be like, hey, look, I'm doing justice stuff. and You're not. So, you know, what's that say about you? What's that say about me? You know, and people, you know, it's like somebody I heard a quote from someone. It's like you can mistake being woke for hatred. And sometimes it's hate, and it's not really like I'm. I'm opening up to these things, um, and so that's why I think it's really important to see what's in there. All right,
0: I'm. I'm gonna go. So we we have this glossary of terms we're using, and this term is not in here. Brandon said it a bunch. I know we got people sitting in Sunday services that have no idea what the word woke means. Mm. Um, so who wants to go ahead and give their best? Uh, social definition of woke who, who wants to who wants to tackle that
1: one? Sure uh, woke is a culturally like trendy term right now which basically equates to awareness um, and there's different standards for what woke means. Um, so basically if you know something factually or anecdotally about someone's experience that may not be common knowledge then, it's considered that you're woke um and in some respects it's a badge of honor or a critique of someone
0: we good with that we uh, are we good with that anybody want anything to add to... Yeah. it is something that gets said um, it in here, right?
3: depends on who you're talking to right <laughs> like it, i feel like there's one meaning i kind of feel like there's a i don't know like when i was younger i'm going to say younger i'm not going to say young cuz i'm not that old yet <laughs> but uh it was politically correct right like that was the term and you know like the left promoted it and the right wanted to kick it around and it had a thousand different meanings but it was uh you know like became divisive and people got upset about it and you know all of a sudden the church was more concerned about not being politically correct than they were about being the church um that's a little bit of a generalization um But I think, like, to I guess, to dovetail that with your with your question about like, how do we look at ourselves and how do we self assess? Like, for me, there's like I am called to be pursuing sanctification, right? Like, that's what Christ calls me to do, and to not be excusing away sin, to not be excusing away my brokenness as something that's not that big of a deal. Uh, I'm not gonna say that I do that perfectly because um, my wife may listen to this, but like, I'm not called only to be humble when it's convenient to me, right? Like if I'm going to enter into a conversation to talk about race, to talk about injustice, um, I'm not, I'm not somehow excused from no longer being humble, right? And from no longer putting others first, uh, You know, which again for me is going back to like, why do we trigger so heavily off of this stuff, right? Like if we went in and it was, you know, talking about mental health or talking about, I don't know, like a hundred other topics you could bring people into. And they would be like, oh, I want to learn, you know, like, and I want to be humble and I want to approach this um, in a godly manner. But then you you hit some things, and right now one of those things is social justice uh, and how the church should be dealing with race. And people just want to, like, they don't want to be humble, right? Like, it, for me, it's, well, we should, like, the church should be continuing to do the things that the church should be doing. And believers as individuals should be continuing to look at themselves and not comparing ourselves to uh, a media narrative, but comparing themselves to Christ. And saying, am I conforming to Christ? Am I pursuing Christ? Does my life look more and more like his? Or am I carving out exceptions around this thing and that thing to where I, I am not really called to do that?
0: That line you just said, conforming to a media narrative. Mm-hmm. That's a great line in this conversation, I think. And I want to hop back to... Um, to Steve was kind of saying earlier that, man, the realization sometimes that that I'm the Pharisees, mm-hmm. um, that's something. So I get to sit here and I get to ask a question. So, but I'm not exempt from personal experience in this. And you know, Matthew 23 continues to resonate with me. Um, you know, the words of Jesus telling the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites, that you know you build the tombs of the prophets, decorate the monuments the righteous, saying. If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And just as that relates to my own look at self righteousness, um, you know, I watched the so I watched the Addicts documentary that that we've been um, trying to get people to watch, and and a gentleman there, Dr. Stanley Warren, who's uh, former dean at DePaul University, talks about. Um, Just kind of this feeling that that he believed that there really wasn't anyone who would advocate or step up Mm
4: -hmm.
0: and defend the African American community. And it's really easy for me to sit here and and make myself believe that I would have done that. Mm -hmm. But I think a real truthful, introspective, honest look would say there's no chance in the world that I personally would have would have stepped up into that. And and given the times, the narrative of the times, I, I could have explained that away. But in the end, that would have come from my own sin. That would have been, been me trying to protect something or me seeking comfort or not wanting to be ostracized. And, and really, I, I would have just been caught up in viewing those different than me, especially black or, or brown people as as the other. Like this is the other side and being warned against that now is like, you know, when you start looking at people as the other um then that's the beginning of dehumanizing them. Mm-hmm. And that then allows me to not have to view them as made in the image of God. And that's a really dangerous place to be. And you know, and I see Jesus say this to the Pharisees and I have to look at myself and say, well, I would have been no different, um, in wanting to criticize my fathers, my forefathers, um, my family of origin to be like, oh yeah, I would have stood up and we would have done things differently. Um, and that's a lie. (laughs) I, I, I would not have if I'm, if I'm being really honest with myself in that. And it's humbling. It's, it's humiliating. It's hard to accept that. It's hard to say things like that. Um, but you do have to throw yourself at some point onto the grace of god and to really then once we take that hard introspective look and come to grips with that now maybe we can turn that outward Mm -hmm. and now maybe we can look to reclaim our prophetic voice and start now with love and so we can speak truth and then and we talked about this a little bit today at midtown i want to know from you guys you know what once we deal with ourselves internally and, and then let's say just for the city of Indianapolis, what if we have acknowledged our roots of injustice in the city, we've acknowledged where we've had missteps, we acknowledge honestly our missteps in the church, we establish a common memory, we start to speak the same language in this, then what potentially does it look like for us to turn that into love for our city, and we love our city in that, and then how do we work for truth in that, if that question makes sense? And that's, that's heavy, right? I'm not expecting a, an answer right away here, but what does that look like for us to turn that outward after dealing with ourselves and really loving our city to speak truth to it?
1: So uh, I would say that it would turn, a lot of times as a majority white person, if I can be completely honest, there were weeks early on in our marriage that James would go out of town and I would just function as a majority white person and catch myself like halfway through the week being like, I haven't considered a minority member of society's perspective at all. Um, and that was really humbling and humiliating at times. And I confess that to James, we talk about it. Um, but I think a lot of times, When you see someone as the other or, you know, just kind of dehumanize them, they become commodities and no longer a community member. And I think when you are convicted by the gospel and, you know, begin to walk in obedience to Christ's word, it becomes that's when you have the foundation of true community is when you see someone when you acknowledge their personhood, and when they develop and when you develop a relationship with them they're no longer the other but they're your brother or your sister in Christ, um, and that's whether or not they're a believer because the fact is is that it's it's not like all the people in the church are the true people who um, exemplify Christ it's everyone so um, for me I would say just how I interact with people on a day to day basis. Um, how I see people in the media, um, whether the portrayal is for the majority or the minority. Um, Yeah.
0: Any other thoughts on that? I would say, um, I
2: mean, I think if you love something, you don't like leave it where it's at. (laughs) Um, I think that you can see see the city for what it is and still love it. Um, And what that looks like is, again, like just not leaving it where it's at. Let's not stop with this month of discussion. Um, Let's be aware of this in our everyday lives. Um, whether, Whether we have power in our careers or like in our relationships or whatever, to be an advocate for what it looks like to, for this city to look like Jesus. Um, And so I think, I guess I'm not really sure I know what it looks like practically, Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that when you love something, you want to see it flourish, you want to see it um, become what it's supposed to be, and so you work to change it.
3: Yeah, I think it's hard to like a lot of times, like the way you ask that question, even is like, how do we, you know, like, how do we go out and change it? And I think a lot of times people, like, when you hear that, you hear, well, how do I go out and just like change the world? And I have to like quit my job and become an activist, and like, and then people get overwhelmed, and they, they don't know how to do the big things, mm-hmm. and that then, Keeps them from doing the small things. So I think a, a big thing is just be prepared. Don't shy away from these conversations. Go out and pursue education about it. Pursue different perspectives. Even if it's just from what you read or you know, media that you consume. You know, Hear those things. Watch those things. Filter it through the gospel. Bring it back to Christ. And then be prepared for when the opportunity presents itself to get into a conversation and do more than just be scared about offending somebody, right? Like that's part of that is like working on yourself. And when you hear whatever the news story is or whatever the topic is or the conversation at work and you feel this like fluttering and the like, why am I responding so strongly to this? Like understand that, right? Like there's a lot of that that's just good self work in how have I been wounded in the past? Even if it's not an acute wound, how have I been wounded by all of this? And and that then helps prepare you to when the opportunity presents itself to step into something because not everybody is going to go out and be a social justice warrior, right? Like not everybody is going to go out and do like the really big visible things, but in the relationships that you have and you know what god puts in front of you then you can step into things and, and bring grace and bring the gospel
0: and i think what's important to that tim too is um when we step into that it's and not even so much as a social justice warrior right that's good yeah. we might we just geez, we just it. triggered a thousand people out there you know everyone <laughs> but i didn't but, mean to do that but we're doing that rooted in the gospel right and that's what we we want this to to i mean and Steve you said that beautifully earlier how we want that all to come and land back in that place mm-hmm. so uh, throughout this conversation and you know we're supposed to keep these podcasts somewhat short and consumable but uh we you guys were we're saying such valuable things and adding such valuable experience in this that, that we wanted to let that roll. But, you know, in, in this topic, in, in what we heard today in sermons and maybe what we've watched or consumed this week, um, we keep talking about some heavy things. And we still need to deal with the past. A lot of us still need to deal with personal past. We need to deal with the past of our city, of our country, of our church, our churches in general, and, um, this is not like a one week we heard about this and we're out. This is a long game type of deal. And, and so there are plenty of things in this to chew on and to discuss. And, and quite honestly, there's a lot of things that we need to be sad about in this, that we need to sit and let that heaviness maybe sit on us. And, and we've explored the presence of injustice in the history of, of this country, in our city, in the church. So then what do we, what do, we do with that? And that kind of goes back to, Tim, what you were saying in the way I, I posed that last question. You know, how, how do we react? Well, in next week what we're going to do is we're going to discuss that You know, while action might be the right desire, um, when problems, when sins are, are this big kind of God-sized things, the, the first response of God's people continually throughout the Bible has been lament. So we're going to talk about that more next week.